The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Lord, we thank you for your kindness to gather us here today. To put together a body in the first place. And then to give us opportunity and, and liberty to gather together corporately to, to worship, to express back to you thanksgiving, to express to you need and concern and hope, and to hear from you truth, to receive from you grace in different ways. We get a chance to come together and to sing and to pray and to to listen to your word, that is a privilege. You are kind to provide it. I'm going to pray also for the, the women who are at the retreat right now and as they are gathering in, in a slightly different way this morning there, would you also meet with them there and give them some of this same kindness and the experience of your body, a chance to express to you where they are, what their needs are and concerns are, and then to hear from you and receive from you. Meet them there. Meet us here. We've been singing about and we'll be thinking about now your Spirit's mark on us, your Spirit's work in us, and I pray that in this moment now you would send the Spirit to us in in a different way, in a unique way. He is always present, but would you commission him now to work here to make clear the word to press it into our hearts and to clear away towards that end and to clear away all, all distractions that might be present things like spiritual detract, distractions our, our own hearts are fickle and sometimes we are burdened by sin so would you enable us Lord to, to confess sin if there is sin that would be a barrier to, to focus on you to draw near to you. There are physical and tangible opportunities for distraction. It's just, it's a strange atmosphere with, I even hear my voice echoing in a different way. It's a strange atmosphere with the room mostly empty and cold. Will you, Spirit of God, will you draw us together and then to yourself? so that we can hear from you and, and see your finger as it points us forward, as it does what we just sang about, as it, as it illumines, as it encourages, as it empowers us for mission, as it gives us comfort. Lord, do that now in our midst. Make the word clear. Will you build up this church and make it one that is exactly like you'd like it to be. We're in a growth process, and you know where we should be at any given point, and so make us exactly like we should be in your eyes. Take us and carry us forward. Grow us in maturity as a church, as a whole church. And towards that end, teach the word this morning and conform us to it. Have your way with us, Lord, we pray. Thank you. We trust ourselves to you and ask you to work in this time. Thank you. Amen. As we've been moving through the Gospel of Luke, we have seen much teaching from Jesus about discipleship, about what individual faithful disciples look like. And now, this weekend with all the women gone, we're, we're going to take a, a pause from that so as we can pick up with Luke later and they won't miss anything. But we're going to move to something else Luke wrote, the, the book of Acts, and pick up there not what a faithful disciple individually looks like, but what a faithful church as a whole looks like. So obviously these are related concepts, because churches are made up of disciples. But there are going to be some slight differences and some slight maybe nuances that we want to look at here in Acts chapter 2. Not just individual disciples, but more the church as a whole. What does a faithful church look like? In Acts 2, what we find there are 
the events that took place 50 days after Passover and the cross, what we were just looking at last week and are, are looking at in Luke. And specifically in that chapter, what we see there is this tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God that was long promised, and then that came on that Pentecost, that Feast of Pentecost, this, the outpouring of the Spirit. Everybody saw it and marveled at it, and then what we get in Acts 2 is Peter's explanation. As Peter preaches to this crowd, says what, what's been promised and looked forward to has come, and then in particular calls them to faith and repentance. Repent and turn to Jesus. This Jesus, he's the Christ. Trust him and his cross to atone for your sin and you'll be forgiven, and, the kicker, you'll get that spirit. The, the spirit that you've just seen outpoured and have been asking about and wondering about, that can come to you. He can be yours. Trust Christ. This is the spirit that, that God promised to bring, the spirit of renewal, the spirit of healing. The world is busted in a bunch of ways. God wants to put it, God wants to put people back together to restore. He does that by his spirit. Trust Christ and you can have him. And the people heard that, and 3,000 people did that day. A remarkable gathering in of the first fruits, kind of the first fruits that the feast was the feast of first fruits. Here's the first fruits of the church come in. It's a remarkable day, 3,000 some people. But the days that also followed that were themselves amazing too. And what we see here is the very end of chapter 2, a description of what habitually was going on, what habitually that church, that new ingathered people looked like, a community built by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. So you could have the Spirit, they trusted Him, the Spirit came upon them, and then what followed? End of the chapter, a description of this community. And Luke also does this same sort of thing in chapters 4 and in chapter 5, showing us, giving us a depiction of the, the daily habitual life of this new community of God. And noting that Luke does this repeatedly, and seeing that they're all consistent with each other, and then noting that it matches the explicit teaching of other places in the New Testament, like in Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5, noting what Luke's doing and how that matches elsewhere kind of reveals something to us. This is not just history recorded for us so that we'll know what happened, look at it and marvel at it, a great big amazing thing, and then think it would have been cool to have been a part of the early church. You hear Christians say that sometimes. Oh, what it would have been like to have been a part of the early church. Man, amazing things, wonderful things. No, that's not Luke's purpose. He's giving us a model here as a standard. A model as a standard. So that we look at this and we realize this is how they were, a community filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit saving and dwelling in individual believers, if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God fully, 100% dwells in you. But indwelling is different than filling. I want to play with semantics here, but there's, there's a difference there. And you can see it quite easily. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit fully indwelling in you. But if you're sinning, as Christians do, that's not the Spirit of God directing you to do that. He's in you, but he's not filling you, directing, empowering, controlling you. So there's a difference there. So the Spirit of God dwells in every Christian, but when the Spirit of God fills a Christian, controls, directs, has hold of mind and, and heart, and is pushing you on Godward, Luke says, this is what happens. This is what the community of God then looks like. There it is. That's how they were. And that's how every spirit-filled person and therefore every spirit-filled community is. That's how they were, they were and that's how we're supposed to be. Wouldn't it be cool to be a part of the early church? Yes, 
let's do it today. That's, that's Luke's point. Now, a standard. It's going to look different. We're Americans in the West in this century, different than Middle Easterners way back then in that century, but essentially the same spirit is God in us, in them, going to take us in the same direction, point us towards the same Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's going to be a bunch of similarity, even while there are cultural differences. Yes. But this is what a spirit-filled, or we might say spirit-marked community looks like. When he has his way with a people, he leaves an imprint on them, a mark on them. And that's what we're going to look at here in the end of Acts chapter 2. This is the way the church is supposed to be good for us, honoring to God. And a point I'm going to make repeatedly throughout, what the world needs to see. It has been said, and I think there's a lot of truth in this, that the greatest need of the world is a real Christian church. A real Christian church, like this. Because that would be testimony to the world, what God's really like, what God really does, what God's, God's people are really like, what they can really find. A real Christian church is the need of the world. Salt to preserve, light to illumine. So we're going to look at here at the end of Acts. I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42 to the end of the chapter. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. End of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to note four marks and observe four marks in this passage, which doesn't mean the sermon is twice as long as usual. Usually I have two observations. I have four this morning. It'd be okay. Here's the first mark. It's first in the text and first because logically it's first. It's fundamental. The spirit-filled church is marked by a resolute commitment to the word of God. The spirit-filled church is marked by a resolute commitment to the word of God, a devotion to the Bible. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These apostles were the 12 apostles who are unique and a never-replaced group of men. They're handpicked by Jesus, even the replacement of Judas, handpicked by Jesus. They were eyewitnesses is the requirement. They had to be eyewitnesses of the teaching, of the miraculous signs, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he promised to give to them his spirit to guide them into all truth. The fact of which, that the, the presence and the power, the anointing of Jesus on them, the fact of which is proven by the miraculous signs and wonders they perform even in this text, in verse 43, but also throughout the book of Acts, God putting his hand on them saying, testifying with these signs and wonders, these are my spokesmen, these are my messengers, listen to them. The 12. And recognizing that, the church consistently devoted itself to their word, whether audibly spoken, as would have been the case here, or written down in, in the letters that became the New Testament, or given to somebody else who wrote it down, like Luke. Luke's not one of the 12, but he investigated these matters. The apostles told him what to write. Or if someone uh, receives a, an approval from the apostles, like Paul did, Peter and the rest put their hand of approval on him and said, yes. 
It comes somehow from these 12. And if it does, if the 12 taught it audibly or in writing or through approval of someone else who's writing it down, it is the word of God given to them for us. Meant to be understood as they meant it. The meaning is in the author's intent. As they meant it, not as we think it means. As understood as they meant it. And then when understood, obeyed and trusted in all that it teaches, even the unpopular parts. And there will always be unpopular parts, hard parts. Which parts are hard and unpopular are going to change as culture changes because the world and the Bible, the world and God are at odds and the world is going to change in a bunch of different ways. So sometimes it will find one thing hard, sometimes it will find another thing hard. But the standard is the word of God given through the apostles to us. We must hear it and heed it. Not just because... Think, think about this here. I talk about the Word of God, hearing it and obeying it. I say something like, obey the Word of God. Obey the Scriptures. Obey the Bible. Do what God says. And a bunch of people, even some people in the church, but, but let alone people outside of the church, hear that as, that's what I hate. God in a power play making me do something. That's how people hear it. Maybe not quite expressed like that, but that's how they hear law requirement, God in a power play. That's how it sounds. Authority. No. No. Yes, there is requirement from God in consequence. Yes. But this is the word of God that comes driven by wisdom and love. The driver behind the word of God given is not power play. It is wisdom and love. This is the God who made everything, who knows everything, who controls everything. So he really, 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 really does understand stuff. We don't. We don't. He does. And in love. He informs us. I don't just mean, although I do mean to include, I don't just mean like how stuff works. I mean who we are actually, who he is. How we tick, what really satisfies us, what really endangers us, what his nature really is and what's really coming. He understands that stuff and he tells us in love and calls us to what is actually most profoundly good good for us good regardless of us what is what is good jesus said man cannot live on bread alone but in every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god the word of god actually brings life and if, if, if all we think about is God is on a power play to make his will done, to get his way, you're totally, miss, totally, totally missing it. This is the God of love and wisdom trying to give life. Here, let me give life to you. Bread. Eat. Without it, we can't live. We're sustained in daily life, encouraged and taught and guided in wise choices and pursuits, guided to God himself by this word. A spirit-filled person and a spirit-filled community is absolutely convinced of this as critical. Believes, I do not know how to walk. We do not know what is right unless God speaks, so we have to hear such a community is resolutely devoted to making sure we hear his teaching. That's in the scriptures, rightly understood. That's what they were saying. Every spirit-filled community of believers is devoted to the word of God. So what about us? 
this is something our, our church, I think, for the most part, believes. That's a good thing. That's, that's a good thing. But immediately, right next to, right next to believing that, we, we kind of bump into a couple other things that are important for us to consider. This is the foundation of, of any church, but it is not how, of any, of any spirit-filled church, but it is not how some other churches think. So with, without being critical of other churches, some churches I don't think understand this so clearly. And so there is always going to be a, a temptation, a wrestling within the Christian community as one church holds to, to this as, as critically important, another church says, well, yeah, but what's really most important is, is the music and worship. Or another church holds, what's really, really most important is, is the nature of your community, how you are with each other. Or the children's ministry. I, I mean, i got to have a place my kids like going. Yes, the Word of God is important, but if my kids don't like going there, there are always going to be these, these wrestling points. And, and without being critical of other Christians, we, you know, that's wrong. But we have to recognize that we're going to face, within the Christian community, a, a certain wrestling on this point of what's actually most vital. And we have to stand on this. So this is the first point. The apostles' teaching, heard, understood properly, and obeyed, is at the, the foundation of, of the house of God. I'm not saying worship and community and children's ministry and whatnot is, is unimportant. No, 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 no. It's, it's important, but it's built on top of the foundation. The house is important, but you don't build a house on a no foundation or on a poor foundation. It may look great until something starts to blow or the water starts to run. I think Jesus talked about that. So we need to, to be aware of that and, and kindly, as we are involved with other Christians and other Christian communities, kindly hold to no devotion to the Word of God is the starting point. What the apostles taught in the New Testament, and it affirms the Old Testament, the 66 books of the Bible are God's Word to us. We must understand them and follow them. We need to be alert to that, and we also need to be alert to as soon as... The church said, I'm going to grab hold of the apostles' teaching. There also was equally the temptation to exalt the apostles. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Some of those guys apostles, some not. It's the word of God, not the spokesman. Spokesmen come and go. We need to be clear on that. The word of God, God's word, not the spokesman. Not any teacher, not any doctor, not any pastor. The word of God. That's what the church is built on. We cannot... It, it is... It is appropriate to, the Bible actually says, to give honor, in fact, double honor, to elders who teach. Yes. But carefully so. Because any teaching elder is just a man with clay feet. Just a man. We have a devotion to the Word of God, not the spokesman of the Word of God. You need to be clear on that. Absolutely committed to the Scriptures. This is critical. We embrace it as a church, and we very wisely stay alert to the fact that our enemies, our spiritual enemies, are well aware of the importance of the Word and will do everything they can to keep us from it, to distract us from it, to persuade us that some other route is more profitable. This is what we need, though. This truth will set us free because it's the way we 
find life, particularly find the God of glory and goodness. That's why the word gives us life, is that it gives us God. It doesn't just give us principles to live by. Sometimes the Christian community talks about this as being the rule book for life or the handbook for life or the owner's manual for life. I understand the sentiment, but don't slip into thinking well, the owner's manual for life. What I do with the owner's manual is when I can't figure out how to make this thing work, I can't make the 12 to stop flashing, I pull out the owner's manual, I read the steps, I punch it in, now I got it to work. That's what I use the owner's manual for, and then I put it away once I got the time set right, until at least daylight savings time comes along. It's trying to help me make things function. It tells me how to do stuff. Well, clearly there is guidance how to do stuff, but that's not what the Bible's for. The Bible's about who. Who. Far more than it's about how. Who. This is the truth that the Spirit of God will take and push into a people and say, behold your God. And then the how follows after that. Indeed. There's, the Bible's full of commands, of course. But the commands come after the who. And if we miss the who and, and think of it only as an owner's manual, we're missing the point. We won't find life. We must be devoted to the word of God so as to find God. And then his commandments to walk in them. We need this. It would honor God. And it's what the world needs to see. The world needs to see, to be around. It, it needs it for itself, of course, but it needs it first, before, it, before the word will embrace it itself, it needs to see a people who are happily submitted to God's word and joyfully set free into real, full humanity. Who have become what we were made to be. And that by walking in accordance with what this book talks about. With who this book points us to. Who live and live by the word. That's a profound witness to the world. The spirit pushes us towards the word for God's honor, for our good, and for witness to the world. The spirit-filled church is marked by a resolute devotion to the word of God. Its ministries run around the word. Its people are eager to hear it. And they grow up by it. Secondly, though, it's not all. Second Mark follows right after the first in verse 42. A spirit-filled church is marked by resolute commitment to fellowship. Spirit-filled church marked by resolute commitment to to fellowship. 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Which is a word we need to think a little bit about because that word's used so commonly. And it's used in some ways that are only half helpful. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say something like, let's, uh, let's have some fellowship. After church, we're going to have a fellowship hour or fellowship half hour. And really what the word means in that setting is we're going to have some fellowship, we're going to have some small talk. We're going to have some chit-chat, some visiting. Which is okay and good. You can't build human community skipping that point. But oftentimes that's what we mean. So sometimes we can get the word fellowship and we can just mean it's the time when we stand in the narthex and eat donuts. That's what it was when I was growing up. The word fellowship involves the idea of close association and sharing. Close association and sharing, a basic commonness. The word for fellowship, it's a word commonly used in the church, koinonia, we use it in our church. It's the name of one of our Bible studies, in fact. Koinonia, 
Same word down at the end of verse 44 where it says all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's the word, the root word there. It's a basic idea of commonness, of togetherness, association and sharing. So linked hands and linked arms and linked minds and hearts. A community filled with the Spirit. What he does then as he's in the midst of them, individuals filled with the Spirit, what he wants to do is draw them together and make them a community that is resolved to be a community. Common unity, community. Not just a room full of a hundred individuals, but a family, a team, or a body. Use a bunch of different words to togetherness, not individuals in proximity to one another, a unity. Now, this is thousands of people here. It started at 3,000 plus, and it's been growing, so it's thousands of people. And given that they could only meet in personal homes, there, there was never a group of larger than 30 of them, so surely they subdivided many, many times, and surely you would find this guy who doesn't even know that guy's name, of course. But this guy would be in some group of community, and this guy would be too. Maybe not with each other, but however they subdivided, you would find them committed to fellowship with one another. They're together. They go to the temple together to worship. They break bread together in their homes. They share life. So that's what's going on. And they make that sharing tangible. More than just talking about thoughts, feelings, concerns, they share their possessions. Not just sharing their thoughts, sharing their possessions. They had all things in common, it says. Verse 45, consistently selling their things and giving the proceeds to one another as need arose. And right there is where this togetherness, this, this mark of fellowship is tested. What do you do with your belongings? What do you do with your stuff? It says everything in common, selling your possessions and giving away the money. What, 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 what does that mean? Verses 45 and 46 clarify it for us a bit. All things in common is an attitude rather than a physical reality. All things in common is an attitude rather than a physical reality. And you can tell because in verse 45, the believers do still own things. It says their possessions, their belongings. So this situation they're in, they have all things in common, but you can still, in that very situation, all things in common, but it's my car. Mine. I have the keys. It's parked in my driveway. The title's in my name. It's my car. While all things in common. Same time. So it's an attitude, not a physical reality. And they had authority over these things such as they could decide to sell them when and if as need arose. They have, they have the possession of it. They have the decision. It's in their hands to sell it if they need to. There was no mass sell-off. There was no deeding over of all things to the group. Verse 46, they still owned homes and met in them regularly. They still had stuff is what I'm trying to get across. There wasn't a communal purse. There wasn't communal living. They still had private property. What's going on here, though, is that God, as God's Spirit comes to dwell in individuals and then knits them together as a body, he's actually making us into, making them into more mature stewards. If he says, I'm going to leave this stuff in your hand, but I'm going to pry your fingers off it so that it sits there very lightly. It's in your hand, but not grabbed hold of tightly by you. Held lightly like this. 
My spirit filling you, working in you then, will remind you as the stuff sits there in your hand, I'm going to pry these fingers open by reminding you as the spirit dwells in you and then controls your mind and controls your thinking. I'm going to lift up your eyes and show you, in the scriptures especially, God and the gospel. I'm going to show you how this king, the king of the kingdom, came considering your needs above his own. He came, came near, saved you, rescued you, brought you into a place where you are an heir of vast wealth, are promised security, and are headed towards a feast and a heaven that is full of blessing. The Spirit is going to remind you that, remind you that, remind you that, and as he reminds you, as he reminds you, as he reminds you, your fingers open. And then the Spirit's going to draw you next to other people, make you live right next to them and see them. And your mind filled with Christ, you're going to see them like he sees them. You're going to love them like you love them, like he loves them. You're going to consider their needs above your own and say, you have a need, I have a resource. Hmm. Stewardship. Frankly, it would be a whole lot easier if the requirement was give away all your stuff and forget about it. Let somebody else make the decisions. Because this need and resource means that we have to be constantly thinking, constantly around people. Discerning moment by moment by moment. Is this right for me to meet this resource? Would this be a blessing? Would this be love to you? Or would it actually enable you in a bad way? Maybe I shouldn't give. Or maybe I should. That's harder. That's a lot harder. Because there aren't any guidelines. There aren't any standards get around people and to love them and to realize I have but I have for us. Hmm. When? How? That's hard. Calls us to walk with God as we walk with others. That, that bit of, of the resource angle, the, the sharing, the in common angle is what's actually emphasized in this passage. But there's something else that we should talk about when we talk about fellowship because the bit about get around people and be near them and love them, that's, a, that's an important part of the commonness. Get next to people and love them like Christ loves them. That's a, a bit of a harder sell for some of us. There are always are, and, and there, there are now in our church here, there, there are always tendencies, and, and some of us more so than others, to kind of view the church as the place where I come get Mark number one, the Bible. But I really don't have much time for Mark number two, the people. I want to be taught the word of God and then I'm going to race the pastor to the door. If that's you, I'm not intending to directly talk about you. Because there, there always are. There, there always is. Or if not racing the pastor to the door, you're, you're, you're going to stay here, but, but there's, there's kind of a wall. I'm going to go to the chit-chat level, which is important. That's, that's, you can't get to know somebody well if you don't know them superficially first. But I'm not, I'm not going past superficial. That gets too messy. Eh, no thanks. That's assumed behind, beneath the all things in common. If you're meeting together regularly with people, if you're going to the temple with them, if you're meeting in a home and breaking bread, sharing with them, you are with them. That's assumed here. So we need to hear that. A, a body that is a collection of individuals is not a body. It's, it's, it's a unity, a common unity that the Spirit of God wants to build. As he draws us all towards our one Father, you've heard this said before, he draws us all together. If you think about it, I'm here, you're here, there's one Father, as we come towards him, we are coming closer together. That's what God's doing. You can't actually get closer to God, grow in maturity, and not get closer to his people. How does any parent fear, feel 
You who are parents, how do you feel if I say, you are my best friend, I hate your kids? How does that go? It doesn't. It doesn't. I, I love spending time with you. Can you get rid of the kids when I'm coming over? It doesn't. It doesn't. How does our Father feel if, if we really don't, don't love these ones that He loves? Loves. Loves. It is really easy. I, I'm not a particularly people-oriented person, so I, I can plead guilty on this. It is really easy to see people as, to some degree, problems. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people who's a problem. I would wink if I could here. But, you know. but it's easy to see people like that, right? It is. Those whom he loves. Yes, that person's a problem. That's why the cross. Of course. And God is taking this one and growing him, growing her, growing all of them, growing us into maturity, into Christ-likeness. And there will be a moment when you will marvel in awe with jaw dropped open at what God has made that problem to be glorious when he, she stands fully sanctified in glory, bearing fully and appropriately, as is appropriate for people, bearing the image of God in a, as humans are meant to do. To do. Do, we, do we see people like that? May God the Spirit, this is what God the Spirit wants to work into us and then to cause us as a body to value. May God the Spirit help us to see people like that. God, help me to see people like you do. And then also we must realize, help me to see that I need this for myself. This is honoring to God. We need this for ourselves, for our own maturity, for our own growth. But learn to love people that are different than us. We need that. They will, they will be a, a tool in God's hand to speak truth into us, to, to maybe grind off some of the edges that we didn't know needed to be ground. We're drawn out of our self-focus and more into this commonness, and we will see the body more like Jesus does. Now, I, I do not mean to speak against friendships or to deny the reality that sometimes you just click with that person less, more than that person. That's good. That's fine. God makes that too. We're not supposed to deny that sometimes there's, there's a, a certain bit of you are, ah, David and Jonathan got each other in some way that God used in a profound way. More than David and the next guy over. And that's okay, that's of God. So I'm not talking against friends, I'm talking for love the body, be with the body. The world needs to see that. If we would honor God, we need, we need that for ourselves, and the world needs to see that because, my goodness, the world needs to see a people who have experienced resolution of the human relationship problem. The world is a wreck with the human relationship problem. And look, here's a people that Jesus has changed. The kingdom comes to us more fully day by day. We, we walk like the king does, loving the other people of the king. That's what the Spirit wants to grow in us, a church that's marked by fellowship, devoted to the Word of God, devoted to fellowship, and thirdly, to worship. This gets shorter here. 
Spirit-filled church is marked by an atmosphere of worship. Verse 42 ends, they were devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Literally, it's to the breaking of the bread. So they have some bread in particular in mind. Communion, we'd say. We just talked about this last week. Communion, as established by the Lord, is is a continual reference point for us to recall the Passover sacrifice of Christ by which the wrath of God passes over us because of the blood, the blood shed by Jesus on the cross. And to look forward to the coming great feast that Jesus will bring when he returns. They were about that regularly and the prayers so not just saying they were a praying church, they were about the prayers. These folks were all from a Jewish background. They continued on with the Jewish worship practices of prayers at regular times of, of day and week and month and year. You go to the temple, do them in, in their private lives. And surely those prayers now, they got them in a different way. They realized this is about Jesus. Messiah is Jesus. So they, they saw that, but they continued on with their, with their worship patterns. Christ-focused, but it was doing the same thing. Going to the temple together, verse 46, for the prayers. Breaking bread in their homes. Probably communion then joined with a full meal, as was the custom of the early church. Praying the temple, eating and celebrating communion in their very different homes. They received their food, it says, from God. Received their food with glad and simple, glad and sincere hearts. That's the word there. Praising him. So the Spirit floods a body of believers, and then what characterizes that body of believers? They are about worship. They are regularly together recalling the sacrifice and looking forward to the consummation. They are going to pray in their, their worship patterns, corporate worship and private worship. They are, they are putting before God their needs and hearing from him. And they are gathered together then in homes to celebrate this with, with a smaller group of people, pray and, and to receive the communion. And they did all of this then as they ate, they received from God what he provides for them with hearts that are personally tuned to worship, glad and sincere no duplicity, no faking. They are like open and joyful and responsive to God, praising him. All, put all that together, you've got a life of worship. The church is characterized by worship. Corporately, big, smaller, and personally right in here. Worship characterized their lives as a result of being spirit-filled. So the spirit does in the heart. He turns us Godward. He makes our common time and our personal hearts. He makes us God-conscious, God-centered, and therefore joyful and thankful before God. So in all of our, in all of our gatherings then, a church that is spirit-filled has an atmosphere that is God-focused, thankful and joyful and at rest before him. So you can, you can notice that, you can test that if you want to by, by just taking, taking the, the temperature of a, of a gathering and say, is this warm with God? Or is it about us? Me. Does peace reign here? Or contention and bickering and gossip? Does joy reign here? Or criticism and judgmentalism? A, a worship, a, a God-centered happy-hearted, joyful worship of God, that characterizing a, a gathering will mean something about how we are with one another, 
what we talk about, how we feel, what's, what bubbles out of us quickly. It will direct some of what we do, like we sing songs of praise, but it will also, it's how we are. Worshipful. Thankful and joyful, it says. Receiving their food, I would say, and receiving whatever it is that he gives us with glad and sincere hearts, praising him. He gives you food. In all things, though, we should be thankful. Even difficulties. So does this person, does this characterize you as you kind of walk through your day? As you engage with not just the corporate worship times, but as you engage with private meals and as you go to work and as you deal with family matters, is there some kind of God-centeredness, God-focus, and therefore then a joyful, worshipful attitude rising in you? The Spirit of God means to point us towards Him, to put Him on center stage, that then produces worship in our midst. Let me get to the last point here quickly. Spirit-filled church is marked by the presence and power of God to deliver. This is close to, related to the the third point, but a little bit different. Spirit-filled church is marked by the presence and power of God to deliver. Verse 43, it says that awe came upon every soul, literally fear, not dread, not that kind of terror, but awe that is fear. When you bump into something that is other, there is a sense of, hmm, take a step back. Kind of the haughtiness drops. The self-confidence just dips just a little bit. I don't know what to do with this. I've met something other. It's a little bit of fear there. You might not be terrified, but you are sobered. It says awe covered every person there. Not because of what they'd seen at Pentecost, though that was awesome, but because of what's going on constantly day by day. God present in the teaching. God present in the community. God present in the worship. God displaying through many signs and wonders, I'm here, I'm at work, and I am other. You can read some of this stuff. I make blind people see. If you ever saw that actually happen, if you saw somebody who had been born lame and is 50 years old get up and run, you would take a step back. Awe would come upon you. I don't know what happened there, but that's something that I'm uncomfortable around. It's, it's God, the power of God. And God is it's moving himself here. The Spirit of God is moving God to center stage, to put him in front of everybody. He'd gotten their attention, and they were realizing something of his majesty. And what that meant for the believers is that all of this stuff actually took root in their lives, and it changed them such that you can look at verse 47, you can say that's a fair summary. Praising God and having favor with all the people. There's something there that as, they, as God moved to the center stage and they worshipped him and stood before him, they were changed in all these ways, and people looked at them and said, hmm, favor with all the people. That's an interesting and attractive community. That's a life that they would see. That's a life where we would experience a life where the word of the king matters and the love of the king's people matters and the worship of the king matters because he is the center of everything. God's present in the midst of this people as a qualitative change of how this body works, how it functions, how it feels, what it looks like. 
and therefore then it has a quantitative effect. Verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God does it. God added to their number. God saves. But surely he saved in relationship to this people as they saw them and heard from them. Where does this come from? It comes from Jesus the Christ. So that church was like and what every church is supposed to be like. You kind of capture. What I want to say in this last point here is this. that This is the kind of church in which God may move powerfully. He's free. We don't do these things and therefore then, you know, pull the lever and make him do. But God may move powerfully because this is a church in which God is free to move, not opposed God is present in power to deliver his people and to deliver others into his people because this is a church that is saying, Lord, here. Here's us. Here's all of us on the table. We are surrendered and submitted to you and eager for you to work. We recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. But we want to hear your word. We want to love your people. We want to worship you with all of our lives. We want to be at your service. And that's the kind of church where God is not constrained, blocked, opposed, but in, in a way set free to run. And all this comes from the filling of the Spirit. It's what the Spirit filling in a church does. So where we find ourselves falling short of this, what we have to say is not, I'm going to try harder to be more loving. We have to say, Spirit of God, have me and point me in heart and mind. Point me towards God. Show me the Lord and change me. This is the kind of church that we all want to be a part of that would honor God, and that would be a blessing to the world. A church that, as one person once said, is, is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Sovereign ground of the kingdom of heaven here on earth that is accurately telling the story of what the kingdom and the king is like. We want that. God wants that. The world needs to see that. So may the Spirit of God fill us so as to leave these marks on us that we are devoted to his word and devoted to fellowship and characterized by worship and know his presence among us then to deliver. Let me pray. Father, would you grow us in these things? By your Spirit, will you own us? You fill us, please, Spirit of God, and point us towards Christ to show us his beauty, to show us his grace and his mercy. And as you do that, will you make a church that's like what this church was, like what your church is supposed to be? Cement that in us, please, and then would you... We want, to, we want to yield to your timing, but also, in a sense, say, please, now. Would you please run through us and transform us and use us in the world to call in others, those that you are in pursuit of, would you use us to chase them down for their good? Would you honor your name then in that process? Thank you for creating the church. Thank you for committing yourself to building it and protecting it and saving it. Would you deliver us and would you use us? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. 
Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.